0: Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. Today is going to, uh, we're gonna to do it a little different. The underlined portion we'll read together and then the part that's not underlined, just I'll read. We're also gonna read all of Psalm uh, 119 together, so buckle up everybody. That's good. Uh, no, it's just verses 25 through 32. Okay, uh, the first line together, so we'll try to time it right. I lie in the dust, revive me by your word. I told you my plans and you answered. Now teach me your decrees. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow, encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. I have chosen to be faithful. I have determined to live by your regulations. I cling to your laws, Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands, for you expand my understanding." You guys have heard Nick preach before. If you've been here for any extended period of time, he is a dear friend of mine and Pastor Chris's. Um, he uh, loves God's Word. He is uh, he has planted churches. He has organized and run businesses. Uh, but something that I love most about hearing from from Nick is he takes God's Word and he does a great job
1: of applying that to our cultural moments. And then um, helping us understand how our cultural moments are um,
0: sifting through our hearts and creating desires. And, and so I'm really excited to hear from him once again. Nick, come on up.
1: Good afternoon, everybody. It's good to be back with you. It was actually um, a year ago this weekend that I was here last, so we can set our calendar for next year, Oscar, and um, you yeah, can help, come help out again. Um, yes, um, my wife Kim and I have a, um, a long history um, with, with Chris and Alyssa. I've known Chris for quite a while since he was at, at Saddleback, and then um, through the process of planting this church, we have a lot of love and affection for the Pobletis, uh, for the Navarros, and certainly for the Dodds. Um, we love you guys so much. Um, Let's pray, then we'll jump in. Um, Father, we, uh, uh, in a room this size, there are a number of us who are in the dirt, um, me being one of them. Father, we need to hear uh, from you. We need your comfort, your strength, um, your encouragement, your hope, your faith. God, would you meet us uh, this evening as we open Psalm 119? Would you help us to Uh, Would you give us language for um, what we're experiencing um, as we lay in the dirt? Would you um, even more so help us see your goodness and a way out um, by hearing your voice? In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so where you go for help uh, in the midst of trouble can kind of be the difference between um, staying stuck and getting your way out. Um, Where you go for help really can make the difference between finding your way out of suffering and challenge or remaining in that place for an undetermined amount of time. Uh, there was a millionaire entrepreneur um, who uh, paid a Navy SEAL to live with him for a few months to kind of coach him in better habits, right? Um, turns out that guy was David Goggins, if you guys know who Goggins is. Um, maybe you don't have the money um, to pay for someone to live in your home and be a personal coach. Um, But being confused, being exhausted, needing help is a part of the human experience. And all of us look for those things on Instagram, on YouTube, at friends, um, counselors, any number of places. And again, where do you go for help? What I want to show you this evening is that God's word gives us the renewal, the understanding, the encouragement that we need when we're stuck. The way out of the dirt is to the beauty, the truth, and the goodness shown to us in God's Word. Here's our roadmap for our time together. The first is, we'll look at our place in the dirt. Secondly, a cry from the dirt. And then thirdly, a way out of the dirt. So the place, the cry, and the way out. So first, the place in the dirt from the um, the passage we read together. So, Look at where the psalmist is because we we can paint the picture using his own descriptions of what he's doing and his requests. So what's he doing? You can see in verse 25, he's lying in the dust. In verse 28, he's weeping with sorrow. And these pictures, um, just remember, this was a time where they couldn't shower regularly, right? Like laying in the dust and clothing yourself in dust was an, an act of severe grief and sorrow. It was something you did only when you, are, when you were really grieving someone you loved or someone who was close to you, a loss that you just where couldn't get over. And this guy is in the dirt, coating himself, in this filth. He is weeping. He's grieving. He is, he is crying out unceasingly. That's what he's doing in this short little passage. How's he feeling? Look at verse 25. He's, he's asking to be revived. So you can kind of deduce from there that he must be weary. He must be exhausted. He must be emptied. When you need to be revived, I mean, revivification means to add life to something that was dead, right? So he is, he's feeling completely depleted. He says in verse 27, help me to understand. So, again, we can deduce he must feel confused, dumbfounded, bewildered, jumbled, disorganized. In verse 28, he asks for encouragement. A simple request that would come from a place of feeling discouraged, demoralized, depressed. It's easy to read the Psalms and feel like they're distant, uh, to miss the humanity and, and the timelessness of them. They were, And to, to not remember, they were poems. They were songs like that you probably listen to all the time. This last week, our oldest daughter, um, we were listening to country music, Don't Judge Me, um, and she says, Dad, why are so many country songs about trucks, hometowns, America, beer, and heartbreak? Um, she she got that real fast, right? Um, the thing is, these psalms are like the songs that we hear. They were meant to convey an everyday experience. And this psalmist is feeling weary, exhausted, emptied, confused, dumbfounded, bewildered, jumbled, disorganized, discouraged, demoralized, depressed. Any of us feel like that this evening? Maybe to bring it a little nearer again, I'll spare you from reading these lyrics aloud because it would feel weird to read uh, poetry. I don't have that kind of animation to myself. I'm a little monotone. Uh, but I'm okay, like Hot Water Music, one of my favorite punk bands. I mean, you get lyrics like, um, can you tell me how to get out of hell one limit at a time? Well, that's visceral. That's a description of where he's writing from, right? Or maybe... T-Swift, for those of you, I like both, right? Little punk rock, little T-Swift. She's really good at writing about heartbreak, right? Months and months and back and forth. You're still all over me like a wine-stained dress I can't wear anymore. Hung my head as I lost the war. Like these these descriptions that we listen to in songs that we're familiar with. And we go, yes, of course, you know, Chuck and Chris must be feeling that from hot water music. Or Taylor must be feeling this from uh, the songs that she's writing. And when we come to the Psalms, we miss what this psalmist is experiencing, Deep heartbreak, horrible exhaustion, confusion, bewilderment. Do you recognize that you might be in the dirt this evening? Because I know some of you are feeling this right now. Again, in a room this size, there's got to be a number of us that are feeling these descriptors, these descriptors this evening. And maybe you've even had songs like this on repeat, Right? Maybe if you're like me, it's kind of cathartic to go for a nighttime drive and listen to Death Cab for Cutie. Is that anyone else? Like, little, just feels good to be sad a little bit. Like, is that anyone else? Right. Um. And this is honestly, like, just to be honest and vulnerable with you guys. We have some friends in this room. Like, that's me right now. In my 20s, I built a business, worked with amazing artists. In my 30s, I planted two churches. In my 40s, I was the VP of marketing at a great church tech company until November. When I got the call, they were laying off off 30% of the company. For the last nine months, I've been unemployed for the longest time of my entire professional life. It's totally disorienting. I've applied for like 150 jobs. I don't hear from most of them. I have three kids in Orange County. I'm scared. I'm sad. I'm discouraged. Like, this is me, and I know I'm not alone. Others of you may not even want to call it what it is. You might not want to say I'm in the dirt. You might actually want to deny it. You don't want to face the reality of what condition you're in. Others of you might want to think that you can get yourself out of the dirt by your own effort, your own intelligence, your own creativity. That's where I tend to go. I tend to go to fix the problem, pull out a spreadsheet, make a plan, get to work, and I try to think I can get myself out of it. Or others of you might just resign yourself to the dirt in apathy or faithlessness. We love the Psalms because they're honest about the dirt. Our inability to get out of it on our own but that there's still a way out if we would listen. So that's, what, that's where this psalmist is. Why is he here? This is an interesting one. Why is he in the dirt? Why does he feel these ways? Look at verse 26. I told you my plans and you answered. And verse 29, keep me from lying to myself. I kind of have to think this was a presumptuous person. Any of you guys planners, type A, right? God, let me tell you what I'm going to do. I've got a good idea. Here's where we're going. And maybe it didn't work out. This guy had plans, and God answered. It doesn't seem to be going the way he thought it would. And he seems to have maybe lied to himself. Maybe he thought the outcome would be more quick than he imagined, bigger than he imagined, better in some way. But he had plans, and he lied to himself. Jeremiah 17.9 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Another way to say that oftentimes we lie to ourselves. If you're in the dirt, is it possible that you're there because you've been lying to yourself? One of the greatest kind of mantras of our culture is follow your heart, right? There's a funny Babylon Bee um, post There was uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. It says, couple follows heart, billions die. Um, Kind of funny. Um, The lie of follow your heart leads to the dirt very often. Some people might believe it's it's time for me to be happy, right? Um, Across the crisis, in the last five years, we walked through deconstruction with a lot of people. um, And I I think there were some patterns in there. And I'll just... um, uh, tell me if I go too far, Oscar. Um, but there were, there were patterns. There was often people who grew up in the church, they were approaching middle age, largely middle class, and I think they were given the lie that if you follow Jesus, everything's gonna be perfect. And so they got to middle age and it's a little harder than they thought and the kids are more difficult than they imagined. The marriage is harder than they pictured and it's, it's just difficult. And it got to a point where they're just like, well, maybe I hit the eject button on faith. And a lot of times they hit the eject button on marriages in the name of, it's time for me to be happy. And they found themselves in the dirt in the name of self-expression, self-discovery, whatever you call it. Only a consumeristic individualistic society could hold this up as a virtue without calculating its unintended consequences. Paul Tripp says, no one lies to yourself more than yourself because no one talks to you more than yourself. So, Take Tripp's words, take the psalmist's words, and go, we all probably do this. We all probably lie to ourselves in some way or another. And some of us have to consider, are we in the dirt because we've lied to ourselves? What does he ask for? What does he say? Here's the cry from the dirt. So he's in the dirt, feeling all of these horrible, disorienting, bewildering, scary, confusing things. Maybe he's there because he had these plans that he was presumptuous about. They didn't go what he the way that he thought. He is he's potentially lied to himself. Well, what does he ask for? Again, in verse 25, he asks for revival, renewal. God, give me life, fill me up, make me whole. Good requests. Some of us in this room are making to God. In verse 27, he asks God to help me understand, give me perspective. Give me awareness. Give me wisdom. Again, good requests. In verse 28, encouragement. Give me encouragement. Give me hope. Give me camaraderie. Tell me it's going to be okay. Anyone else have these prayer requests right now? Because again, you're not alone. The psalmist is there with you. For those of us in the dirt this afternoon, these requests are our own. And the good news that we'll see is that God helps us. Where does the psalmist ask to find these things, this renewal, this encouragement, this understanding? Well, he says they come by your word, by your decrees, your commandments, your wonderful deeds, your words, your instructions. The psalmist wants you to know something you can't miss this afternoon. Nine references in eight verses that the answer doesn't come from inside of you or inside of me, but outside of us in God's word. We need help from outside of our, from ourselves, The answer is not to go within, but actually out. To not navel gaze and subjectively try to overanalyze or, you know, uh, wallow in pity, but to actually pull ourselves out to truth and goodness outside of us that God gives us in his word. And we don't need help from just anywhere outside of us. Um, Counseling is great. I love counseling. Friends are great. I love friends. These are all good. But what the psalmist anchors his answer in is in God himself. The problem is that we look for deliverance in any number of places. We look for relief in any number of other places. If you're like me, when you feel the pressure in your life ratcheting up and it feels like um, what are those, I mean, like a pressure chamber, right? And like the steam is just about to explode. You can feel yourself tempted. You can feel yourself running to things you know you wouldn't normally do because the circumstances are so horrific. And The problem is we look for relief and for deliverance in places other than the psalmist would point to us. Again, from Proverbs 14, 12, the proverb says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in its end, the way is death in the pressure, we need to go outside of ourselves, not within, and we can't follow the things that we think just make sense to us that seem even potentially logical or rational if they're not in line with God's word. Because we'll get sold, if you are on your phone long enough, if you watch TV long enough, if you uh, have particular influences in your life for long enough, you will be sold and marketed any number of other opportunities for relief or deliverance than God. If you are not aware of the constant bombardment that we are met with just by this thing, just have this experience with this person, at this place, on this vacation, whatever it is, we we are one click away from relief rather than God. Ecclesiastes shows us the end of this. It's not pretty. David Foster Wallace wrote a book called A Supposedly Fun Thing I'll Never Do Again, where he kind of tells the story of this cruise ship where every desire is anticipated and fulfilled. And here's what what Wallace says, the great lie of the ocean liner cruise is that enough pleasure and enough pampering will quiet this discontented part of you, when in fact, all it does is up the requirement. I can remember being 24 years old and having my smiling mug in the New York Times book review, and it felt really good for exactly 10 seconds. <laughs> the psalmist is saying, no, we need to go outside of ourselves to God's word. in Nine references and eight verses. And our challenge is we go to any number of things in the world around us for relief from the discomfort and the pain of being in the dirt. But these requests of renewal, of life, of being filled up, being made whole, Of understanding and perspective and awareness and wisdom and hope and camaraderie, all of those have to come from outside of us. And the psalmist shows us that they come by knowing who God is, what he's done, and what he's said in his word. And so, lastly, the way out of the dirt. Look at these verses 30 through 32 I've chosen to be faithful, I've determined to live by your regulations, I cling to your laws. Lord, don't let me be put to shame. I will pursue your commands for you, expand my understanding. Look at the active language in each verse. I have chosen, I cling, I pursue. The, what is the Dallas Willard saying? Like the, the gospel is not opposed to working, it's opposed to earning. Like just because we follow Jesus, and we believe that He saved us by grace doesn't mean that there's there's not something that we that is gonna cost us, right? And in this, this language, in this psalmist is this, I've chosen you. I've abandoned all of these other opportunities and I'm going to hang on to you, come what may. I'm going to cling. I'm going to pursue. Instead of telling God his plans again like he may have the first time, instead he's starting from the place of who God is and what he's said and what he's done. Since the garden in Genesis 3, we we've mankind has tried to make their own meaning and purpose apart from God and we live in a time and a place where this is amplified to a deafening level. We're told that we get to create our own meaning, our own purpose, our own self-identity. But the psalmist is dedicating his life to following God. He's chosen to be faithful. He's determined to live by God's regulations to pursue his commands. The psalmist has staked his meaning on the purpose and on God. And friends, don't, don't miss that he's not, he's not unlike us. My guess is he doesn't know the end of this. He doesn't know how this circumstance is going to turn out. Like you and like me, he's making these, he's banking his soul and his life on God because he knows will come what may, God will be good. And you might be thinking, well, that's, that's quaint. That's ancient. Good for him, not for us thousands of years later. But let's take a snapshot of the life of someone in our culture that the world around us worships. This is from uh, Entrepreneur Magazine. It's a little article on Elon Musk. It says, no two days are the same for Musk. He spends Mondays and Fridays at SpaceX in LA. On Tuesdays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, he heads to the Bay Area to work at Tesla. Quartz estimates he spends an average of 42 hours a week working at Tesla, 40 hours a week working at SpaceX. Who knows what he's doing at Twitter now? He also told Y Combinator that he usually spends half his time working at artificial intelligence, a nonprofit, OpenAI. On the weekends, it's more of a toss-up. Sundays are usually spent traveling or staying at his Bel Air mansion. On Saturday, he either works at SpaceX or spends time with his five young sons. Speaking about his kids in 2013, he says, what, I'm, what I find is that I'm able to be with them and still be on email. I can be with them and still be working at the same time. If I didn't, I wouldn't be able to get my job done. Even in our belief about the inevitable progress of humanity, solutions anchored to human ability will be at best echoes of the designer. The the psalmist's own meaning and purpose led him into the dirt. The psalmist living like this led him into the dirt. God's answer to the psalmist's plans was to humble him. The invitation is to find our meaning and our purpose in God and what he's done. Two categories, infinitely bigger, infinitely better, and infinitely more beautiful than what anyone else has done or said. We look at the views of our grandparents, our parents, our parents those a century ago with skepticism and indignation. Why do we think that that won't happen to the the views of our own day? How about aligning ourselves with what God says in the Bible and in particular what he reveals to us in Jesus? Because those things have stood for 2,000 years. In the dirt, you can bank it on the superficial uh, advice of the moment, or you can bank it on the timelessness of God and his word. Have a few people distorted those things? Absolutely. but an an incalculable number of people have lived in them for their lack of a better word, purity as well. Actually, this last week, so the the church that my wife and I have um, landed at, I'm teaching Sunday school there. It's a a much older church. Um, As I'm teaching Sunday school, I'm I'm by far the youngest person in that room by probably 15, 20 years. And this old man walks up to me um, at the end of the session last week, and he says, Um, could you speak a little more slowly when you teach? And I said, I'll try. I just get a little excited. I'll I'll do do a little better. And he was like, now now that I'm old, I have a hard time hearing and keeping up. Now that I'm old, I have a hard time thinking and and finishing thoughts. And it takes me longer to, to get to things. And then he says, do you remember that verse where God says that he'll finish what he started. And I remember 1 Thessalonians 5, because we always had it at a benediction at Cross of Christ, where uh, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And he was like, yeah, that, that's good. What's the other one? And I was like, okay. Uh, Philippians 1, six: he, he who began a good work in you will, will com- bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he's like, that, that's the one. He said, that's the one that gives me hope because I can't complete anything anymore one day God will finish everything that I can't. In the dirt of this old man, and is the end of his life, as he's feeble and weak and struggling with just getting words out, his hope was in Philippians 1.6. We can bank our lives on the superficial advice of our moment or examples of our moment, or we can bank them on something that has stood for thousands of years And the psalmist is teaching us that when we're stuck in the dirt, exhausted, disappointed, dismayed, the answer is outside of us. It's in God's word. God's word, a few points as we close here. God's word leads to, for those of you in the dirt, hear this, please. God's word leads to life because it leads to beauty. In the dirt, what do we need but to look up and outside of us, to recognize that this moment doesn't define us, that this season isn't final That there's a God whose heavens proclaim the glory of the Lord. That there's a God who holds the storms and the rain and the sun and the moon. That there's a God who knit us together in the womb. That we are fearfully and wonderfully made. God's word leads us to beauty. It leads to life in the dirt that when you're in the dirt, God' word leads to life because it leads to goodness. It reminds us that life is better when we rest, that in our anxiety, in our attempts to control and manipulate and, and try to have our way in the world, that maybe following his commands to Sabbath, maybe trusting that he will work everything out for the good of those that he loves, maybe knowing that he knows every hair on our head, maybe remembering that he knows that he feeds the sparrows and clothes the lilies, maybe that goodness can be a reminder in the dirt. God's word leads to life because it leads to truth, that God made everything, that he rules over everything, that he's angered by arrogance and idolatry and sin, but he's also slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, that there is a ultimate reality and an ultimate truth outside of the disorientation of your current moment. And God's word leads to life because it leads to Jesus. The Jesus who brought help from the outside. The Jesus who, when he was struck, prayed and lived the words, thy will be done. The Jesus who was tempted in every way like we are, but who resisted that sin by using scripture. The Jesus who is the resurrection and the life because he defeated Satan and sin and the law and death. If Jesus can handle those insurmountable circumstances, he can sure handle wherever you or I are stuck. And so the invitation and call this afternoon is to hear God's voice in his word when we're stuck in the dirt, because it leads to beauty and goodness, truth, and Jesus. That's the voice we need to hear at our worst moments. For those of you who know, for those of you who are in the dirt this evening, I hope you know that God loves you, that you're not alone.